Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 253, the late November 1989 issue on sale August 1st, 1989. This one's uh, cover price of dollar and is titled Storm Warnings. woo <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On the cover, there are lots of trademarks, registrations, and copyrights, such as Magneto's trademark journey to Muir Island trademark, the return of Forge trademark, the escape of Jubilee trademark, and Wolverine registered, and Banshee's trademark, rescue of Lorna Dane trademark. Oof. Now, why do you think Wolverine gets an R and everybody else gets a trademark? I don't know, but I do notice the 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 Uncanny X Men also has an R, hmm. and Marvel also has an R. So perhaps it has something to do with uh, Uncanny X Men being a title. Wolverine's also a title, or maybe it's a major property. Yeah, but Marvel Comp nineteen ninety nine Marvel Entertainment Group Incorporated is copyrighted, and the image in that little box up there is trademarked. That makes sense because uh, Marvel Entertainment. Is a is a is a company. Hmm. So you copyright a company, you register a title, and you trademark intellectual property. Sure. All right. <laughs> let's go with that. <laughs> to be fair, I know nothing. <laughs> well, anyways, uh, it's one of those covers with a lot of things going on and a lot of words, as I so mentioned. Uh, all of those characters, uh, including Moira McTaggart, are on the cover of this issue. In a collage, I guess you could say. Um, yeah, there's not a lot of uh, action in this issue, and I almost feel like uh, Mark Silvestri didn't really know what to do because usually he'll just sum it up with one issue or uh, one one image that is either uh, basically the action scene of the issue or it's like a summary of uh, a, an important moment like Wolverine on the cross or Lorna Dane getting zapped by Zaladane. Sure. So this this just feels like I didn't know what to do, so I did everything. <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe maybe the Cliff's notes Chris Claremont wrote out to uh, uh, Mark Silvestri um, all of this information, right, featuring Magneto's journey to Muir Island, blah blah blah. blah. Like this is what we're going to do in this issue, and he literally is like, "All right, just put that on the cover." Maybe I don't know. Uh, in the middle, uh, the focal point, if you will, of the cover is a girl with white hair. Face is darkened, uh, with like some highlighting of burnt umber and blue cat eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who do you think that is? Don't know. Hmm, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it's the newest X-Men. Maybe maybe Jubilee and Wolverine are going to go to the mall and, and meet a new young girl for Jubilee to have a little pal. Maybe it's Jubilee in a wig. <laughs> maybe. That's how they escape. Wait, is this the first time she is officially Jubilee? Hmm. Did they not refer to her as Jubilee in the mall issue? I don't know. I feel like they would have been like, there's Jubilee. She's being chased by the cops. I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember either. I feel like she must have had some sort of a name, but maybe not. Didn't didn't uh, in that annual, didn't Gateway stand up and he was like, hello, Jubilee. And then he never talked again. <laughs> that could be. I know he, <laughs> he said something to her. I don't remember what it was. You know, he said, uh, uh, hello, child, or something like that. Hey, lady. Hey, lady. (laughs) 
So yeah, the yeah, I mean, it's a generic cover. It's it's good Mark Silvestri uh, and Dan Green art, but it's it's pretty generic. Not sure if I'd buy this as a as a t-shirt. Yeah. What about a poster? It would have to be like I don't like the colors in this. It's a lot of red, um, and really like. There's a lot of characters on here that many, many, many people would not recognize. And you'd almost, if the word Wolverine wasn't on there and you weren't a Marvel person, you might not even recognize Wolverine on the cover. If you recolored it, I might be more interested in having this as a poster. So, eh, not the best, not the worst. But we open up uh, in uh, Cairo, Illinois, where the water is rising on the Mississippi River. So is this Cairo, Illinois, or do they go to Cairo, Illinois later? Because they don't, they don't <laughs> find out Cairo until until we get to the hospital on the next page. So this just never gets a name. So I, I am admittedly um, guessing because when, when you first read it, they say they'd already seen two dykes overwhelmed by the rising, raging Mississippi and were desperately afraid that they were going to lose the third. And then they talk about the levees. And and you really get the sense that, like, oh, we must be somewhere in Mississippi. And then they talk mm-hmm. about, like, what happens if the levees break? And then all I could think about was Katrina. I was like, oh, man, it happened. This comic book predicted it. But, <laughs> but then they end up in the hospital, like, on the next page at Cairo Memorial Hospital in Cairo, Illinois. And, I, you know, I'm not much of a geographer, but I feel like that would be a pretty long ambulance ride. And we can we'll have to go back to get you caught up with what's the ambulance and what's the hospital. But so I'm I'm making the leap that this is set. I, I mean, I guess we could have looked at a map to see where Cairo, Illinois is. But if I were to guess, uh, it's either made up or it's a small town in southern Illinois on the Mississippi River. So I think this town that we're in is in Illinois as well, but closer to the Mississippi. And then Cairo is maybe the neighboring town. I don't know why, and it really doesn't matter. No, it matters. But... <laughs> I was very confused. Uh, Cairo, Illinois, is a town in Illinois. Uh, well, well, that, that, well, we know it exists. So it's good. It does exist. It is south of Future City, which sounds super awesome. Maybe this is Future City. Future City, if on the map, and Google Maps is like six blocks. Okay. Uh, there's a church. <laughs> uh, Cairo, Illinois is much larger, and it is surrounded, and this makes sense then, uh, by the Mississippi River on the west and the Ohio River on the east. Uh, and it's kind of like a, um, uh, a peninsula that goes uh, in between those two rivers. Okay. And it's... Uh, yeah, it's pretty close to Tennessee, pretty close to Arkansas, uh, but but way far away from Mississippi and and super far away from Illinois. I mean, Chicago, rather. So, boom. Why is Kansas pronounced Kansas, but Arkansas is pronounced Arkansas? <laughs> How come Kansas City isn't in Kansas? Isn't one of Kansas? There's, I thought there was two Kansas cities and one of them is in Kansas. Kansas City, if you look at the map, is split between Kansas and Missouri. Aha, I was right. Yeah. But I don't know. The majority of it may be in Missouri. Because I've been to one of them. <laughs> I think the one in Kansas. I mean, I, I think all you have to do is just keep driving and then you'd be to Missouri. Like, there's, it doesn't look like there's two cities. 
I had a job interview there. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I don't, they never called me back and I, I kind of implied that I wasn't all that interested in the job. So but, but I'll never know. When you say, uh, Kansas city, you typically don't say, you, you typically say Kansas city, Missouri. You don't say Kansas city, Kansas. Yes, I agree. But I think I was in Kansas city, Kansas, and that's the only reason that I know it exists. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, I think we all uh, learned a little bit about ourselves today. <laughs> yes. And that's been the danger room. My name's. <laughs> uh, yep. So there's some police here. There's a bunch of, um, I don't know, let's call them volunteers. And they're helping to uh, position ladders and uh, some braces against a, a, a an immense amount of sandbags. Yes, they've they've built a, a makeshift dam for the flooding that is happening. But this thing is like seven feet tall of sandbags and like eight. Well, eh, I'm exaggerating. Maybe five sandbags wide. The perspective doesn't make a lot of sense unless what we what we're not seeing is that they're at the top of a hill, and there are houses at the bottom of a hill because we see houses in the background that are flooded up to their rooftops. No, no, I I, I get what's going on, but when I've seen flooding before. I've only ever seen the sandbags be like, I don't know, five bags tall and maybe two bags wide. Not not this immense, like, great wall of Illinois here that they're constructing. This is one heck of a wall, too. This goes off into the distance. <laughs> yeah. and And this is just like, I don't know, there's nothing's getting through this wall. They're probably not taking it apart. Where do they get all these sandbags? Well, that's that's the point, right? You you can typically only make like a small sandbag just to like surround a house because that's a lot of sand. <laughs> I feel like they built a sandbag out of a pre-existing stone wall. <laughs> it does kind of seem like that. They're augmenting an existing stone wall with sandbags, maybe. Yeah. Well, on top of the sandbag wall, uh, a woman appears with wild hair and blue eyes and... Uh, uh, it's on the levee, I guess. And somebody says, what the devil? Does she continue to have wild hair throughout this issue? I, think I don't so. think so. Mm. In the next panel, she certainly does as a giant lightning bolt blasts behind her uh, going Scara boom. The boom is the size of the entire panel. She is blown forward. Her hair is wild. I guess it is pretty wild, but not, never does it claim this uh, wilditude. I don't know. It's 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 pretty bushy throughout, but uh, but you're right. It's probably never as wild as this. It, right now, it's going down past uh, almost to her butt. So a super nice FBI agent, police officer, just a guy. His nah, I think he's law enforcement of some kind. His name is Jacob Rees. Oh right. Okay. So yeah, we he is FBI. I guess. Our introduction to him is, Jacob Rees is too old for this. Too many all-night stakeouts and junk food that went with them have taken their toll. We don't find out that he's FBI until the end of the issue. No, we don't. But we do know, I mean, I I think it's uh, strongly hinted that the all-night stakeouts lead him towards some level of uh, detective or FBI or something more than a beat cop for sure. He kind of looks like the sci-fi author Philip K. Dick. I don't know what he looks like, but... He kind of looks like Jacob Rees. <laughs> oh, I know who he looks like. <laughs> and so he wraps up the girl. The girl is naked, FYI, uh, and brings her to an ambulance. And uh, it's like, take her away. Roxanne, you've got a customer. 
And so they load her up into the ambulance. The ambulance drives away. And as it does, the storm clears. The rain has stopped. The sky is clearing. The storm has broken. Weird. Crazy. And that's when the ambulance makes its way to Cairo Memorial Hospital in officially Cairo, Illinois. And uh, the radio is like, it's a, mis- or, it's a miracle. The rain stopped. Uh, the next 24 hours are going to tell the tale. But for now, it's safe. Now, there isn't like a later or anything like that. So it could just be the ambulance went literally five feet. <laughs> maybe maybe Jacob sees the uh, hospital, but he's like, oh, good thing there's an ambulance. So I don't have to carry her all the way there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I, I firmly believe that all of this takes place in Cairo, Illinois. Within a one block radius? Sure. I mean, looking at the map, it looks like it's only 18 blocks total. Okay. So... <laughs> Does it have a hospital? Uh, I'm sure it does, but I didn't zoom around to find that. But we could probably uh, do a decent job of pinpointing the relationship between the Mississippi River and the nearest hospital. If so, is it Cairo Memorial Hospital? <laughs> I'm not going to look that up. <laughs> so, yeah, they they bring her in. Some guys working on the night shift. Unless one guy says to himself, come on, jerk, open those eyes. Focus, those, focus that sad excuse for a mind. You're young, you're... Oh, tough. Yep. Dr. Zombie at your service. These folks have been working the graveyard shift. I guess we don't know if it's day or night, but they've, they're probably pulling a triple, you know, with the rain, the storm. It's probably crazy. This guy says, you can handle 100 straight hours of ER duty, no sweat. I wonder if he's exaggerating just a little bit. I feel like it. <laughs> I feel like that's too much time to be awake. Yeah, yeah. I think you'd be, like, passing out. Yeah, I think five days, like, bad things physically happen to you that are maybe irreversible. Like, remember that episode of Star Trek Next Generation where they couldn't get any sleep and they started all hallucinating because they were unable to have REM sleep? Mm, Vaguely. So they were having, like, day dreams? Vaguely. That was a good episode. Yeah, Star Trek used to be a good show. Memorable. Memorable. So, yeah, they're trying to figure out, like, uh, who is this girl? She's female. She was found at the Morton Street Levee. Oh, my gosh, we can even get closer to figuring out exactly where all this is. Uh, she was found as is, which is naked. Um, she appears to be preteen, appears to be black. And they're like, what do you mean, appears? And that's when they look at her for the first time. And hmm, This looks like a young storm. And he says, see for yourself, Dr. Shen, you tell me. And we see a black girl with stark white hair and blue eyes. It looks to be a preteen storm. Hmm. But that Hmm. can't be because she died with Nanny, who has a a desire to do things with children. Hmm. Wait a minute. Space whale. (laughs) Wait a minute. Is Storm Reborn again? (laughs) I guess we'll find out. Meanwhile. Did Nanny push out like a storm dummy from her spaceship to be like, well, this will fool the X-Men. She's dead. (laughs) Ha 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 ha. Well, we know that Nanny turned Psylocke and Havoc and also was a rogue into little kids temporarily. Did she turn them into little kids or did she just give them the mentality of little kids and put them in robot suits? That's a great question. Because I don't think we actually saw in all of the nanny stories that we've seen. I don't think we've seen her turn anybody into a child. I'm just assuming that all of the the 
thing the the beings that are inside of the robots are kids. I guess just because once we saw a kid in a robot. Yeah, I guess we saw Franklin inside of the robot body. Right. right. Uh, I guess there was the scene where Psylocke is walking out of the uh, Reaver pond, and as she right. walks out, she, she does get young. She gets young, but I always kind of thought that that was like a um, like a. Uh, mental thing yeah like a like a a physical representation of something that was happening psychologically and she didn't she her, the, the representation was of her mind kind of regressing because after that we only see her in a robot suit and then after that we just see her as normal age psylocke but who knows maybe it was literal and i was just thinking about it too much hard to say we'll never know unless we interview chris claremont and ask him specifically so, Chris Claremont, if you're listening, we would love to bring you onto this podcast and ask you that question. You love answering details of minutia? <laughs> We've got so much minutia we'd like to go through. We're ready for you. You'd be like, I don't know. I just wrote some stuff. <laughs> you know what the sad thing is? I was reading, um, oh, I was watching, it was the thing we were talking about a, a couple episodes ago. Uh, about Image Comics, uh, one of the little bylines was uh, talking about Stan Lee and Jack Kirby creating all these characters, and then one of the little tags was, Jack Kirby worked until the day he died. And I was like, well, that's sad. <laughs> so that made me think about, like, Chris Claremont, like, do you think that man still works? Um, I think he does get residuals from movies but maybe not maybe maybe marvel gets all that money i have no idea i mean he gets creator credit does that does, does that give him any money does he get creator credit because i i mean i guess i've never combed those credits but i feel like the only marvel name that's usually attached to them is stan lee and i think in more recent times jack kirby's name has been attached but i don't i think anybody who creates a character that is always mentioned in the movie, like in the in the Captain Marvel movie that happened recently. I think it was said Captain Marvel created by Jim Starlin or something mm. like that. And Steve Ditko always gets credit for Spider-Man. But I also think I feel like Steve Ditko got ripped off, too. Like, I think he gets like notable credits, but I don't and maybe until recently, I don't think he was getting paid for any of it. All of those early guys pretty much got ripped off, um, except for Stan Lee. Yeah. Um, and, but I think the later guys also got ripped off, but not as badly. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. Well, so Chris Claremont, if you're out there, uh, could you let us know if you're a millionaire or not? <laughs> yes. We <laughs> need mean, to know. He's, he's, uh, one thing that I've been meaning to read, but I, I just haven't really committed the time is he actually wrote, uh, a, um, novelization of X-Men, the last stand. Really? Yeah. And I, I bought it. It was, you know, five, six bucks or whatever on Amazon. And I started reading it and it, it had like, you know, he he had the main story, but then he had like a bunch of like other X-Men characters like filling in gaps and stuff. And I got about halfway through it and then put it down for some reason. Wasn't very good. I don't know. I get sidetracked. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's still just X-Men The Last Stand, which, you know, I don't know how many, you know, how good of a writer you are. You probably can't fix that. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> so I don't. I don't. I don't fault uh, Stanley or I mean uh, Chris Claremont at all for for a poor novelization. Yeah, he didn't have much to work with in the first place. Peter David does a lot of novelizations. He does. You are right. So maybe that's how those guys make their money. Maybe. Anyways, uh, in on the other side of the world, in Australia, the Reavers are cleaning up all of that water. Remember the water. And these are the soldier halves of the Reavers, not the Reaver halves, the uh, 
Not 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 the uh I guess cyborg guys. It's Cole Macon and Reese. Yeah, those guys. Yeah. And they're kinda they're kinda jokesters. They're just chatting about how, man, this isn't even our fault. We shouldn't have to be doing this. And somebody says, I'm not even supposed to be here. <laughs> Randall comes out and makes a joke. It's a good time. Uh, and then I don't remember who is who, but the blonde one, I'm going to say that he's making. Sure. <laughs> I think, I think uh, he's Reese. Cause well, the, he calls one of the guys Cole. Somebody says, hey, Reese, no need to. And I'm, I think he's talking to the blonde guy. So Cole has got brown hair. Reese has blonde hair and Macon is black. Okay. And he has blue hair <laughs> for some reason. Uh, I think he has black hair, but because of the helmets that they're wearing, it's colored blue. Hmm. Uh, anyways, he says... Not, uh, why are they wearing helmets? It's part of their Reaver costumes. Is it? I think so. Yeah, I think uh, they all ha you have little bubble heads with little plugs that connect to them for some reason. That's silly. <laughs> I think they've always had those in some variation or shape. Although, Cole's got like uh, a face mask, like a respirator maybe. Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. that's what's throwing me off. Why does he have a respirator? Yeah, he has problems breathing. <laughs> he has troubles breathing and... Uh, moist climates. Yeah. So, uh, Reese, he says, uh, on the other hand, bro, we could be alongside the original Reavers on Pierce's work table. <gasps> and they all start comically scrubbing and and mopping even harder. Yeah. Oh, how silly. I feel like there should be like a... Apparently, that is not a place that you want to be. Uh, as we see Pretty Boy laying on the table... I think no, that's that's bone breaker. Oh, you're right. It is bone breaker. Pretty boy's up next, but bone breaker. Uh, he's the guy with the tank treads and the Mohawk. He's laying on his back. He has a bone breaking tattoo on his arm and he screams. That's how you know it's bone breaker. And, uh, Pierce is like, stop your caterwiling ninny. Apparently he's <laughs> Irish. <laughs> ninny. Mr. Pierce, it hurts. And finally Pierce turns off. His neural receptors, which I don't know why you wouldn't have done that in the first place. Because we, we figure out very quickly that Pierce is uh, mean and torturous. So why is he being worked on? Was he wrecked in the last issue? Or is Pierce just be like, I'm mad at you, so... I believe um, Wolverine sliced and diced everybody up. Hmm. Okay. Or, maybe, or maybe just the water... Uh, from the tunnels, got into all their gears and made them... Rusty. Rusty. Pretty Boy's in the background, and he's like, you know, as we've discussed before, he's a head with a robot body. Uh, he's missing an arm? Like, a, actually, both of his arms, I think. It looks like everybody is completely toasted at this point. And then there's the guy with a skull head whose name I can't remember. But Skullbuster. Skullbuster. He's he's hanging also. Uh, I assume that both of them are missing their legs just because it looks like they're hanging from other machinery. Yeah, and I don't know why. Um, I think you're right. There, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless unless they did just get wet. So Pretty Boy eggs Pierce on, and he's like, uh, well, Pierce says, hardly surprising the X-Men beat you so badly. And Pretty Boy's like, well, what's your excuse? Wolverine waxed your tail just, uh... And that's when Pierce... 
karate chops uh, Pretty Boy's head off of his robot body, and Pretty Boy's head comically bounces across the floor. Mm-hmm. Ow, ow, <laughs> ow, ow, ow. At which point I'm like, wait a minute. Like, I can almost understand and get behind, like, a human head living on a robot body. I feel like that that head dies the minute it's severed from that, though. Yeah, I had some thoughts about that. And it's also, I mean, it's not bloody or anything here. It's very comically done, which doesn't really, I feel like it cheapens the gag. But at the same point, I wouldn't necessarily want to see a bunch of blood spurting from his neck. So I feel like this whole sequence is just (laughs) lose-lose. But yeah, his head goes bouncing off and his head's laying on the ground. He's like, hey, boss, it was a joke. Can't you take a joke? And then Pierce picks up his head by the hair and is just holding his head in front of his head. He's like, I like jokes. I especially love getting my own back. Far, far better than I was given. So I do hope when I'm done you appreciate my sense of humor. And then Skullbuster says, better us, better you than us, lover. And Bone Breaker says, horror. Which I don't understand. Why does he what say the, better you than us lover? Yeah, because he's British, and that's what British people call each other. Better you than us lover. No, they don't. Um, I could oh, I don't, bloke. I don't know. <laughs> uh, cheeky monkey. Love. Love. I could see love. Well, I don't know. Isn't that a term of endearment you would give between like? Well, it's ironic. It's it's sarcastic. Lover is weird. Lover is so personal. Like, I would call somebody that I'm I'm attracted to. I wouldn't. But, I mean, if I was a bad guy and misogynistic, I might call that person I was attracted to lover. But I would feel weird calling you lover, for example. Well, you wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't I feel would... weird or I wouldn't say it? No, you wouldn't say it. I mean, if you did say it, I would also feel weird. I'd be like, <laughs> did I miss something? <laughs> Wait, are we dating now? <laughs> Um, maybe Chris Claremont just saw Evil Dead and, uh, now he's just throwing lovers out there. Yeah, but see, that only works because it's Ash's girlfriend landing in his lap. Doesn't, doesn't the thing in the basement also call him lover at some point? I don't, maybe, but I think that's, well, it's, that's his girlfriend, right? He cuts off her head and it lands in her lap and she's like, hello, lover. And then she gets slapped into the cellar maybe. And then probably, but mockingly at that point, because everything's just going crazy. I don't know. I was just taken aback when Skullbuster calls Pierce lover. I mean, it's I cool. That's cool. I did. I I didn't even notice. No, well, I did. Evidently, it's just another thing that people call each other in Chris Claremont books. But then we move over to the next page, which features um, Lady Deathstrike. So I almost wondered if Skullbuster is referring to Lady Deathstrike. No, I think I think it's just slang. Okay, I think it's just ironic slang. Maybe. Maybe it's slang that I'm just not ready for. Because clearly they they aren't lovers. Also, his name is Pretty Boy, so maybe that's what they call him. Mmm. Better us than you. Oh, so maybe he... Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so Pierce says, uh, I hope you appreciate my sense of humor. Skullbuster says, better you than us, lover. Lover being Pretty Boy. Yeah, which is the nickname that you know they kind of call him because he's the pretty boy who likes to love the ladies. That that I'm behind. That I get. That makes sense. But it feels like if Pierce were to be called lover by one of his subservients, 
I feel like he'd get mad at that guy too. I'm like, what'd you just call me? Well, I don't think anybody's calling Pierce lover. See, that's that's where I went wrong because Pierce's face is like front and center in the panel and Skullbuster's in the background saying better us than you lover. But it makes way more sense when you explain that they're talking, probably talking about Pretty Boy. Well, yeah, because better you than us, lover. So better better you get messed up by Pierce than us. Okay, clearly this was more obvious to you than it was me. I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> Har, says Bonebreaker. 20 minutes later. <laughs> Anyways, on the Vizzy screen as Pierce is working on Pretty Boy, um, Lady Deathstrike calls in to report that she has not seen anything. I've completed a 360 sweep of the town. Do you think she just like did a circle? <laughs> she just like, she spun around. She spun around like three times. She's like, nope, nothing. And then she refers, uh, well, so Pierce is like, make one more circuit, then return to base. And she says, as you command, Lord. And then she calls out to Spy Eye. Yeah, I don't know what Spy Eye is. <laughs> I wish I did because I wish Spy Eye was a thing because it, it's it's a cool thing. That's a cool name. Whatever Spy Eye is for, I mean, it's used in this issue for one purpose, to make sure that nobody, like the, the rest of the Reavers, don't know what she's doing. Right. She basically shuts down all systems, total deactivation mode. So I feel like Spy Eye is something in her. I wish that Spy Eye was a thing that had been discussed in X-Men comics or any other comic book up until now that we could be like, oh, Spy Eye's here. And then she disables Spy Eye and you're like, oh, you know, nothing good happens when they disable Spy Eye. Maybe it was something that Chris Claremont wanted to do as a regular thing, but I don't know. I guess we'll keep. We'll have to keep our our uh, our eyes peeled for more spy eye action. I think this is the first and last uh, usage of spy eye. Spy eye, and we don't even get to see spy eye. It's like a. It's kind of like the um, the uh, Star Trek communicator, where it's just like a voice that comes out of somewhere. It's like uh, like in the movies when Iron Man is like, okay, Jarvis, mm-hmm. do this. Yeah. Anyways, she says shut down all systems, total deactivation mode, which I feel like if we knew more about Spy Eye and how Spy Eye was connected to the Reavers, this would like have some stakes. Because if Spy Eye is connected to Pierce, Pierce would be like, why is she turning Spy Eye off? That doesn't make sense. I'm I'm yeah. probably just overthinking this throwaway line, but all of this stuff is important. So maybe Spy Eye is is this floating camera that's in front of her that she's using to communicate with Pierce. Did, did you is ever uh, did you ever play Fallout or any of those games? No. It's like this little eyeball robot that fl- floats around and uh, does radio broadcasts. I would like to think that Spy Eye is one of those, just kind of hovering just out of sight. Well, it is because it's insight. If you if you look at the top right panel, she's <gasps> talking to right. a little thing, which I guess is Spy Eye. Uh, you're right. I didn't even notice that before. It's like a little blue bug thing. Hmm. There you go. We are really clearing up this issue. So <laughs> <laughs> it's a very complex issue, Adam. Anyway, she says uh, the best moments or the best moments you see are those that remain most private. And she looks through her sniper rifle and she has a bead clearly on Wolverine's head. And she's got five rounds of armor piercing explosive that she could shoot him in the head with. It would pierce his adamantium, maybe, and then explode his head, maybe, and then he'd be dead. Bang, Wolverine, you're dead and your new found child companion, too. But not today. 
Yep, she says the next time or when we meet the final fateful time, it will be as equals on the field of honor. So she's she's got some honor. She respects Wolverine. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. I guess I guess you're right. I mean, if you hate somebody that much and you take them out with a cheap shot, do you really get the satisfaction? Probably not. Uh, she yeah, that and that and she she lives by the Japanese samurai honor code. I guess. Do you sorts. recall why she hates Wolverine so much? No. Okay. <laughs> Cause I, it was, it was in that issue, but I forgot. Me too. We should go back and reread that issue. Yeah. Oh, you know, it wasn't even in, it was in, um, wasn't it in another comic book like Punisher or something? I don't remember. Or Daredevil. Maybe it was in Daredevil. Uh, I think Wolverine killed her dad, hmm. but her dad was like super crazy abusive or something. Now I'm just making stuff up. Because the weird thing, I mean, maybe they'll they'll swing back around and catch us up. But uh, whenever they do these, and they don't do very often, whenever they do these Lady Death Strike issues, it's never like, "Ooh, I hate Wolverine so much. He killed my father. I'm gonna kill him." It's just, "I hate Wolverine. I will find him and I will kill him honorably." But you never know why. Well, I don't know why. It, I wish I could tell you which episode of Danger Room it's in because we definitely discussed it. So her first appearance was in Daredevil 197. Uh, it was a three-parter, 197, 198, 199. And I believe – I don't even know if Wolverine's in those issues. Weird. Well, meanwhile, back in Cairo Memorial Hospital, the day is better. It's clear. Some storm clouds kind of off on the horizon, but uh, sunrise is beautiful. So they say. Uh, there's some anti-mutant sentiment. Radio blamed muties. They weren't too far off. So then it switches attention to whoever that guy was that has probably at this point going on 108 hours of no sleep. <laughs> He's like, come here. I got to show you something. Look, she's not on any of the monitors. Patient doesn't even exist. The bed's empty. But we can see her. All right, so I'm looking it up, and Wolverine does not appear in those issues of, of Daredevil that Yuriko first appears in. Is it Yuriko or Yukio? She's Yuriko. Yukio is is the Wolverine limited series girl. Oh, okay. Um, She's also the girlfriend in Deadpool. Is she? She's... Uh, the movie? Yeah, the, uh, the second one. Uh, Super Naga Mutant. Oh, girl. Yeah. <laughs> was named. Okay. Yeah. Megasonic Warhead or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Okay. So, so I don't think we read those uh, issues of Daredevil actually because they are not. Uh, I don't. I don't think we knew that they had anything to do with X Men. So it looks like another person that uh, Chris Claremont just kind of took and converted over to his world. No. Well, okay. So the doctors are trying to figure out, like, what's the sitch here? Well, like, why why can we see her, but she doesn't appear on the monitors? So much so that this um, lady nurse doctor? I don't know which. Uh, That's lady nurse doctor. <laughs> lady nurse doctor. Apparently, this is Dr. Shen. Yeah, she's a doctor, and I think the guy is a nurse. Wow, what a role reversal. Keep it up, Stuart. Nurse Stuart. She's Dr. Shen. No, she's Dr. Nurse Doctor. 
Dr. Nurse Doctor? Dr. Lady Nurse Doctor? <laughs> Dr. Lady Nurse Doctor uh, reaches out to, to Touchstorm because she's not even really sure of her senses. And Mr. Nurse Man, he says, uh, no, I, I did the same thing. She's real. We just, just can't see her on electronic scanners. I think she's a mutant. So I, I was taken aback by some language that was in here. So I it prompted me to do a little research. Okay. Uh, he goes on to say, brown skin, but her features don't fit any conventional classification, not Negroid or Caucasian or Oriental. And right there I stop and I'm like, can we use that word? That word doesn't sound right. And so I looked it up uh, and, and it, so if you Google uh, Negroid, it is it has definitely uh, been deemed racist uh, and it's definitely been deemed like old language. Um, but it says... Uh, Negroid as a biological classification remains in use in forensic anthropo anthropology, which is weird. I thought it was weird that they were, that this is the first time we're hearing that Storm is an amalgamation of these three different cultures. White hair, blue eyes, I guess brown skin. Um, and I, I never really saw uh, Storm as any as anything other than an African woman. Right. So just, a, a, I guess, I guess now they're saying that she's also these other two things. Uh, I don't Caucasian, know. A combination of Caucasian and Oriental. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. So, I guess you're right. Well, so uh, I was like, what? What's his, uh, Len Wein, I think is probably credited as creating storm. He probably just said, she's, she's African and has white hair and, and has, and probably the white hair was probably to do with weather, like lightning and snow, maybe. She's like, that's neat. But I think over the years, or maybe even in that first issue, she was drawn with uh, more slanted eye features. Although they do seem to be going out of their way here to give her eyes kind of an oriental slant. Yeah, which is, I don't know. It just seems kind of, I guess, I guess this is how comics work. Sometimes they just decide, right, this is the direction we're going to go in. And then that's, that's it. And then they, it either sticks or it doesn't. Yeah, I don't. I don't think this stuck. No, I don't think so either. I think maybe Chris Claremont was trying something, and uh, it's just one of those things that is abandoned. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Yeah. But anyways, uh, I thought it was. I thought it was interesting that uh, Negroid is used as a biological classification in forensic anthropology, which is effectively what they're doing here: is uh, naming off anthropological origins now i'm way outside of my depth here i'm probably way wrong but now now does chris claremont know that that's that's really the question you know what i feel like the man is smart enough to have picked up an encyclopedia and been like well how would they refer to a african uh asian american person like what would the actual technical terms be although can hmm. we say oriental anymore I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I feel like that one's off off the list too. Probably, yeah, they probably all are. Yeah, I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna stop talking. You know, I was at the, <laughs> I was at the DMV the other day, yeah. uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, it has the question of race and like, I don't, what what am I? Like, am I do I put Caucasian? And so ultimately, I just like white. <laughs> like, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to write anymore. And not that I'm offended by it. I just like Caucasian feels like. Ooh, Caucasian, but I'm I'm just like a European white mutt. Like, just call it what it is. Anyways, 
Uh, yeah, so yeah, it ends with uh, Dr. Nursewoman saying that I think she's a mutant. No, it's actually uh, Nurse um, oh. Man-Child who says I think she's a mutant. Mr. Nurse-Man? Mr. Nurse-Man, yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, and she peeks uh, the, the girl, presumably Storm, but we don't know. She peeks one of her eyes open. Sometimes she's got her eyes open, other times not so much. Yep. So we move off to Muir Island, where Magneto and Moira McTaggart are, are arguing. And this was sort of weird. Um, this just feels like filler to me. Yeah, it kind of. Well, well, this whole issue is kind of a setup. It's a setup for a whole bunch of different uh, new, new storylines. And I'm not really sure what the whole Magneto storyline is yet. Um, it kind of wraps up the whole thing where Moira McTaggart basically says... You abandoned the New Mutants, and what's the deal? Yeah. Uh, and Magneto says, well, Storm and I agreed that I'm going to go be a Lord Cardinal of the uh, whatever that group is. Hellfire Club. The Hellfire Club. And uh, and they get into a fight about it, and then Magneto uses his powers because that's the only way he knows how to argue. Yeah, he, he uh, holds uh, Moira in place, and... Callisto in a bikini with like huge leather boots jumps out of a door with a knife because she's Dr. McTaggart's bodyguard. I want to say this is a closet that she's just been hanging out in <laughs> just in case Moira ever gets attacked. <laughs> you know, this is this she is the, was ready. This is the thing that I'm most no, not probably most disappointed about, but one of the things I'm disappointed about is the transformation of Callisto from Morlock intermediate leader to Moira's bodyguard. Like it just happens one day. They were just hanging out and, and Callisto's like, Moira, I'll be in the closet ready. I know. I'm just talking about the whole storyline of her being Moira's bodyguard because that was featured also in Excalibur. Well, you know, the Morlocks are dead. So she got nobody to be a leader. I mean, she's not going to be Moira's bodyguard forever. Well, no, not forever, but I, I guess I would have appreciated just a couple of pages of, of Callisto being like, I've got no purpose. I got nowhere to go. My people are dead. I, I feel don't like we know. got those. I don't think we did. We definitely got some pages where she was like, I don't know what to do. My people are dead. Well, I mean, we probably got that, but we never got like Moira being like, I have a job for you. I'm a target for some reason. You should be my bodyguard. Will you be my bodyguard and hang around in nearby closets? Because <laughs> I think the other thing is like, we don't. I don't think we know why Moira needs a bodyguard. Not until the Hickman run. The Hickman run? What's that? The House of X and, and oh, Powers well, of X. Well, yeah. But Callisto's not a bodyguard in any of those. Yeah, what happened to Callisto? <laughs> well, we'll probably find out or not. Maybe one day she'll just be gone and and that'll be that. Anyways, yeah, uh, Callisto's storyline here is... Uh, confusing. I'm cool with it. I think Callisto makes a great bodyguard, and, and she's a character that, that they should use and do something with. And since the Morlocks are dead, it wouldn't really make sense for her to be hanging out in the alley by herself. But I would have just appreciated a couple of pages of Moira and Callisto being like, hey, you want to do this thing? Cool. I'll pay you 50 bucks a week. Awesome. <laughs> she's lost right now, and she's trying to find her place, and this seems to be her place. That's fine. Make two pages. Two panels bodyguarding a woman who for some reason needs a bodyguard. Yeah. And then there could be like a side panel where Banshee's like, you don't need a bodyguard. And she's like, I know. 
<laughs> she's not even a very good bodyguard. I mean, she comes flying out of the closet and Magneto just knocks her aside with magnet powers. Yeah, right into the bookshelf. But even even or even Magneto knows. Callisto, as warrior and Dr. McTaggart's bodyguard, you may have no peer, but even the best must learn their limitations. So even Magneto knows what's going on and we don't. She gets two lines in this issue. Let her go, Magneto, and Wolf. <laughs> yep. <laughs> So Magneto goes on. He's like, uh, mutants can't be wished away. Um, references to Genosha. Desire to exploit us for their own power and profit. So that's what I'm going to do. The X-Men are gone. X-Factors vanished. New mutants. He says the new mutants are but children. But earlier, Moyer is like, where are the new mutants? You lost them. I don't know, but they're children. <laughs> <laughs> and he earlier is like, I, how can I be held responsible if they disobey me? Yeah. This guy was Trump before Trump was Trump. That's pretty sad. <laughs> yeah. Poor Magneto. He was he was on such an arc. And I wonder if Chris Claremont's just like, ah, oh, God, I was really going somewhere with this. And now I feel like my hand's forced and I'm going to make Magneto bad. Don't you see, Magneto, if you lose yourself in the process, you've already failed. And uh, Magneto's like, don't you see, Doctor? If everyone is after me then no one will be after you. So I'm protecting you. Not something you asked for, but I guess it makes sense. I guess Magneto will be out there sort of doing Magneto things, uh, leaving Moira McTaggart to do the real work. I guess. Okay. I mean, again, they're setting up stuff, so. Which is, I guess, I mean, yeah. This this doesn't really necessarily make sense here, but maybe it'll make more sense in the next issue. Yeah. Uh, so Magneto leaves the compound and, and passes by Banshee, and Banshee's like, do you think I'd let you hurt her? I'm sorry things had to end this way, but I suspect it's for the best. Banshee puts out his hand for a handshake, which it's 2020, man. You don't do that anymore. <laughs> and Magneto doesn't. He just goes away. Yeah, he's like, no, no, no. I know where this is going. I'm out. He flies away. Wash your hands. <laughs> and so Banshee walks in and uh, they have a conversation. Uh, they want to send uh, Callisto back to New York to the mansion to seal it off because of all that technology. And, and now with Magneto going rogue, he knows a thing or two about Magne or about the mansion. He might get some of that stuff. I want the place sealed to all save we three and Charlie himself. Yep. What if X-Factor tries to gain entry, says Sean, and Myra's like, that's ah, a chance I'm willing to take. I hate those guys. <laughs> Next order of business is to find the new mutants and get them here, and then securing Muir Island against possible attack. Why are they so concerned about being attacked? Is this something I missed? So so what I think is happening here is we're setting up the new regime of Moira McTaggart's Muir Island is the new Charles Xavier's School for the Gifted. Okay. So I, I think we're setting that up. I don't know if we ever get there, but I, I think that's what's happening. So this isn't a pre-established thing of like anybody who liked mutants is a target. It's more, hey, let's get the new mutants. Let's. Let's reignite uh, uh, the the professor's dream. Make this a safe haven for mutants. Is that 
kind of what you're thinking is happening. And that feeds into what Magneto's Magneto will be doing all of his Magneto-y stuff, uh, keeping the focus off of Muir Island, maybe. That is, that is what I'm thinking. Okay. Seems like a neat idea. We'll see where it goes. Meanwhile, back in Australia, the, uh, Reavers are all put back together. They sure are. And, uh, Hilarity ensues. Pretty Boy's new body is goofy looking. He got definitely a Model 1 robot body. It's, uh, I don't know. Is what you call your bare bones configuration? (laughs) So, uh, I'm going to go a little blue here, Adam, real quick. (laughs) It's Pretty Boy, right? And we've seen him, like, get his tendrils into girls, and it seems like he has a fascination for girls. So, what I wonder is, was his original body, like, anatomically correct? Whereas this body is featured to definitely have nothing of that nature at all. I don't know. <laughs> because um, this body is just like a chest, uh, like a bikini bottom, and like like super robot-y arms and legs. Uh, he has no junk. And I don't know if... It probably doesn't matter much, but I'm wondering with as much of a flirt as he was and with as much interest as he had in girls, if his last body had working parts. And now and now that's why they're all mocking him. I don't think he has a traditional sense of uh, liking girls for the reason that boys like girls. I think he is a very bad person who likes controlling girls. Mm. And that is a power that he also happens to have. I I don't know if there's any like sexual relations in that. Um, I I don't. My guess would be no. That he just likes controlling and manipulating people because he's bad. But I don't know that we know, and I don't know that it ever really gets explored. Yeah. Well, anyways, uh, because they all they're like that Pierce boy. That's some sense of humor. And I guess maybe it's just because Pretty Boy is pretty and he's supposed to be glamorous and, and supposed to be kind of cool. And now he's just got like this horrible robot body or if he doesn't have junk. I know I'm fixating on that probably a little too much, but. Go on the lot of you. Laugh yourself sick. Whatever it takes. I'm getting my rightful body back. And then the last laugh on you and Pierce is going to be mine. It could go either way. See, because the, the, the reason that I wonder is because like if he's just a head with a robot body. Then he now has legs and uh, arms and hands and feet, so he can he's mobile. He can control himself. He can still fire guns. I would assume he probably still has his fiber object or fi- fiber optic eye tendril power. It's like why would he care what his body looks like? Because he's vain. Yeah, maybe. I mean, when we've seen him in the past, he's always been wearing like leather pants and a leather jacket. He could still put on leather pants and a leather jacket over this body, and it, he would look the same. He would know, though. That's true. <laughs> Next up, we've got uh, we've got uh, Lady Deathstrike in a, a a uniform or pose or in, in a design we've not seen before, uh, and I like it. Yeah, she's stripped down to just, um, I guess, a bathing suit of sorts, really. And I want to say that I don't like it because she's in a bathing suit. I like how the circuitry is designed on her arms and her legs. Reminds me of Circuit Breakers from Transformers. I guess maybe, maybe that's like, oh, she's kind of like Circuit Breaker. But I also like the color of her swimsuit. Like, I feel like the 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 skin color, the cybernetic color, and the, the red color, it's just a good palette. 
uh, and then yeah, the, the color of her her swimsuit matches the colors from her costume. It's interesting that like her helmet. I always kind of thought the red things coming out of her helmet were supposed to be kind of like her hair, but it's really not. She has black hair. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, her outfit is is like brown and white, and she's got like a a red kind of loincloth thing, and then red dreadlocks underneath what's like a do-rag but i think i too also assumed that the do-rag was like covering electronic stuff and then the red was just like wires yeah so maybe that's why i like the design of like oh it's just like it's all part of a costume and underneath it she's just a kind of a cybernetically altered woman but but still a woman yeah so anyways she's uh she's swimming she dives off a cliff um a lot of swimming in Australia these people do. There's there's like, you know, this pristine freshwater lake. You got to go swimming when you have these things. Yeah. So she gets out and uh Pierce is like, "Oh, you're so hot." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and uh she brushes her hair and Pierce takes the brush and brushes it for her, which is creepy and yucky. And uh I don't know. He pulls back on her head, kind of giving her him domination and her making her uh, passive. I don't know. I assume they do it now or something. It's weird. I don't like it. They're trying to figure to determine where uh, Wolverine. So, I mean, yeah, it is kind of interesting that he is dominant in all of the, the poses, but she is sort of dominant in the conversation. He's keeps asking her, where's Wolverine? Is he in Madripoor? And she's like, Meh, Maybe. Uh, Possible but doubtful. Absolutely not. He loves Mariko Yoshida. He would die before uh, imperiling her or their foster daughter, Akiko, which is a name we haven't seen uh, in a long time. That's true. You're not being helpful, my sweet. And that's when he pulls her hair. Think, Lady Deathstrike. Be truer to your name if you were Wolverine. Where would you turn? And that's when we turn the page and we are on Mira Island where... The radio's going crazy. Mayday, mayday, uh, freighter Alhambra calling any station. And turn out it's Lorna Dane. Banshee's like, you don't need our help. Your own powers, dot, dot, dot. She says, I don't have them anymore. They're taken from me and malice is gone. I'm not lying. It's not a trick. I'm impressed that um, Lorna recognizes Sean's voice. He has so distinct a voice that she's like, Sean? Sean Cassidy? Yeah, and I feel like in the pages of the X-Men, I feel like they've met once. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like uh, X-Men 94, giant-sized X-Men number one. One of those two issues. That's just how distinct his voice is. Oh my God, it's Sean. I haven't heard your voice <laughs> in years. Hi, Lorna. I also recognize your voice, and you have magnetic powers. <laughs> I don't have them anymore. They were taken from me by the same time. The evil malice persona was destroyed. I'm not lying. Come get me. Moira's like, you cannot go. It's a trap. It's a trap. And uh, we've no aircraft. You can't fly in this weather. Then I shan't use one. Are you sure you're up to this? You've got these accents down. I'm impressed. <laughs> I'll just have to be, won't I? So uh, Banshee's powers are back. Banshee's back. Well, we don't know that for sure. Well, yet. I he, he just says he'll have to uh he'll just have to be okay. 
At which point I'm like, what does that mean? Oh, I'm not. I'm like, Banshee's back. <laughs> so there, uh, there's a boat. There's a storm at sea. There's a boat. It's crashing all around. Does he have a teleporter? <laughs> uh, that's a fair point. Shi'ar technology. Yeah. Uh, and for some reason, so Lorna is on this boat. This scene was weird. It's super weird, and I don't know if it's ever called back on again. She's she's no longer large, uh, uh, colossus strength as she was in the, the last time we saw her. She's she's small, normal sized, I guess. She's kind of cowering in a corner, and she's like, "Wow, what happens? Like, I met these guys, and they brought me on the boat. And now they're going crazy." Yeah. And the captain guy is like, "She's mine, fool! I'm gonna shoot you now." You could have waited your turn. So, like, they, they've got nothing but bad intentions now for some reason. I'd have shared her, which is gross. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, you don't think we ever find out what's going on? Maybe. Maybe, probably. Okay. But I don't know if it's, like, an ongoing thing. Uh, but she's he, he pulls out his gun. He smashes the radio with, a, with a, like, a fire axe. Uh, and he's like, get up. And she's like, don't do this. On your feet, you and me, girl, it's our time to party. Santa Maria, what's happening to you? And then we see that Lorna's now like eight feet tall. And she's like, what? I grew just like in the Savage Land. And then for some reason, she's like, hey, it's okay. Put down the gun, baby. We can party all you want. Which I think she's just trying to get the gun away from him. Yeah, but I mean, she she knows that she was when she was in the state in the Savage Land that she was pretty much invulnerable and super strong. You can't rely on that sort of stuff, though. Okay, it's fair. You know, she's if 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 she can, she wants to get the gun away from him and not have to harm this guy. Sure, I guess she doesn't know. Like, oh, is my power always going to work this way, or now am I just super tall for some reason? Yeah. So he does shoot at her, and he's like, "Oh my God, no!" Uh, but the bullets bounce off. But she falls backwards anyways through the bulkhead uh, and onto the deck where everybody goes crazy and starts trying to pummel Lorna Dane for some reason. Which again, there she is. Get her. Like these people are crazy. And I hope we find out why. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know. And then she then she punches them all away because she's super strong. A wave sweeps all these dudes away. The boat basically breaks in half and sinks. The captain guy is on a barrel and she's like, here, grab on to me. She's trying to save this captain guy. And he goes to try to cut her with a sword, which just cuts, uh, just breaks on her arm. Uh, and presumably all of these people die. He wanted to hurt me more than to live. This is insane. What's that awful screaming? Uh, yeah. It's coming from the background and we find out that it's Banshee. Your sonic scream, it's all better. That's wonderful. Oh, I forgot. You can't talk and scream at the same time. Well, I have got a story to tell you. Listen. <laughs> I'm bigger than I used to be, remember? Sorry about that. It's new. Oh, Sean, it's awful. Sailors are all dead. Somehow I can't help thinking that somehow it's all my fault. So on the one it, hand, you it, it kind of is. But at the mm. same time, there's definitely something else going on. So on the, you could you could you could go one of two different directions. One direction is uh, she's in addition to her growth and invulnerability, she's releasing some sort of like neurotoxin that drives men crazy or drives people crazy. Or uh, the they somehow discovered she was a mutant and freaked out. 
So either way, I mean, she can't really be blaming herself for that. Yeah, but I guess I just... I guess maybe in upcoming episodes or issues they'll probably talk about like what was happening there, but it was a weird sequence. Well, talking about a weird sequence, the next sequence is Amanda Sefton at the Excalibur Lighthouse. Yeah. This just, this just kind of happens. <laughs> Remember Amanda Sefton from X-Men number 204 and I think a panel of Excalibur? Was she in Excalibur? Maybe not. <laughs> I feel like there was a, so uh, Nightcrawler finds out that she was, oh, no, no, wait, how did that work? No, she was, he was dating Amanda, but then like went through murder world with another girl, but then found that that, that girl was like a princess and that, that girl showed up in Excalibur. Yeah. I don't recall, what did they, that like Nightcrawler and Amanda Sefton have a fight or do they officially break up or... Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, she's here at the Excalibur Lighthouse calling out for Nightcrawler. And that's when uh, Alistair or Alisand Stewart, uh, sister of Alistair Stewart, shows up. Uh, she's from the Weird Happenings organization. And she was hoping that she could find Excalibur because recently they showed up, but then disappeared again. See? Current issues of Excalibur for yeah. details. We talked about that last episode. We did. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. If you haven't heard that one yet, whoa. 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 Uh, so, yeah, Amanda Sefton says, well, just my luck. If it's help you're looking for, perhaps I might be of assistance. I don't know if that's Amanda talking or if that's Alice Sand Stewart, but well, Amanda Sefton's back. Yeah, it's a good question. It could be either of them. I think, I, I think it's Amanda Sefton, but... Um, I don't. It could be either of them. We uh, we get a reminder that she's a sorceress. She's able to teleport as Alisand draws a gun on her head. So yeah, that's a thing. Meanwhile, Forge he's up in his mountains, and uh, he has a dream of walking into a saloon, and he meets Amal Farouk. Do you remember him? Yeah, he last appeared in New Mutants, but he was also featured in flashback issues of X Men, right? Remember when he made Shan get really fat? Yes, I do. Uh, Storm is in a cage. Amal Farouk is there. And uh, Storm, or as Forge watches Storm kind of turn around, she goes from a woman to a teenager to a girl. Which is interesting to see how Sylvester draws a woman different than a girl. Basically, in this case, she just has different eyes bigger eyes and maybe poutier lips kind of more uh well i was thinking poutier lips too but they're not that different i mean they're just in a different angle mainly mainly it's just the eyes become more chibi yeah her nose seems to be a little bit larger too but that could just be the inker oh by the way it's we didn't read the credits it's uh it's not green oh it's, it's Leia loha doing the inks Everybody else is the same. Which makes a heck of a difference. Oh, yes. Um, the Mark Silvestri, we did not know until this issue how much he relies on Dan Green. That's a winning combination when those two are together. Yeah. So uh, Amal Farouk offers his hand to Forge and they uh, arm wrestle. Yep. And uh, Forge is about to beat him, but his Amal Farouk's hand and his kind of like turn into like a like a 
thought it meld the flesh melds and uh yeah i didn't know what was going on with this uh the fort <laughs> punches him in the face his face shatters um striking fruk with my spirit forms bionic hand somehow disrupted his psychic matrix broke by free energy backlash manifested itself here on the physical plane so somehow forge was sucked into this yeah Farouk, uh amal Farouk, Farouk's weird astral plane yep but what this tells forge and it actually looks like forge's hand is is destroyed yeah his his hand is ruined uh the hand that he was arm wrestling with presumably although actually it's the opposite hand well he punched Farouk with his robot hand and arm wrestled oh. with his flesh hand Okay, so the hand that he punched it with got destroyed. Okay, that makes sense. But he says, uh, what matters is that somehow I know Storm's alive and in deadly danger. Yeah. And so well, we flashed can't, it. Can't argue with that. No, we flashed to Cairo Memorial Hospital where Dr. Nursewoman is uh, watching the cameras. And she's like, ah, I still don't get it. Like, I can see her in the room, but I can't see her on the monitor. Well, was it? Wrong to be a responsible citizen. Better call the FBI, man. So she does. The phone rings for a little while, and we see... Uh, oh, I forgot his name already. Oh, Reese. Rise. Jacob Rise. Yeah. Jacob Rees. Jacob Rees. He's, like, having a heart attack or something. He's, like, on his, on his chair. He's clutching at his heart. And then finally, he kind of snaps. His eyes turn red, and he's like, Reese here. The girl I sent? She said, what? No, no, no. You did the right thing. I'll be right there. You did the right thing, calling the FBI. As chief of Miss Midwest Division, I'll be more than happy to see to this personally. Thanks, Inspector. You've taken a load off my mind. But then, I, I guess we could say it now, Storm's uh, teenage little girl Storm's eyes open wide and she looks panicked. She doesn't trust that guy. Uh-huh. They've been talking about her like she's a mutant. Meanwhile, back in Australia, uh, Lady Deathstrike is wearing... Donald Pierce's cape, which I think just kind of, it's like where, it's like the girlfriend wearing like the starting football person's letter jacket. Like they totally did it. Yeah. That's, that's at least what Cole Mason and, or Cole Macon and Reese think. Mm -hmm. They're, they're whispering about it in the background, like, like teenagers. Yeah. Try a little louder spit for brain. I don't think he heard you. Lady D sure did. Better watch your butt Cole. <laughs> and then they uh they've determined that Wolverine's most probable destination is the grave. Har says Bone Breaker Buster. Or Hades, whichever is nastier. Lame. <laughs> uh Pierce doesn't care about these jokes, and we saw that he does not like bad jokes, as 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 evidenced uh to what he did to Pretty Boy. He just he just doesn't miss a beat and he's like, It's it's Mirror Island. He's going to Mirror Island. Well, you know, Pretty Boy was making a reference. First of all, Pretty Boy wasn't joking. He was making fun of uh, Pierce. He basically said, Wolverine kicked your butt. That's fair and, point. And Pierce was like, nah. No. <laughs> and he says, in charge of that island is Banshee. He's a former X-Man. Lost a scream. Doesn't have that power anymore. And Moira McTaggart. Uh, they're both more or less human, but totally dangerous. I want them killed. Which just seems kind of random. But again, we're setting stuff up. So I don't know why they would think that the logical place that Mirror... Like if you were to ask me, where would Wolverine logically be? Mirror Isle, Mirror Isle might show up maybe in the top 50, but 
I don't know where they come with us. I don't know. Maybe he'd go to the mansion to to get some of that gear or to hide out. Yeah. The Morlock Caves? Sure. That's a good place to hang. It's good as any. I mean, I guess maybe he's so mortally wounded that they, they reckon that even his healing factor at this point in the Marvel Universe can't tackle all those wounds. Contact Nick Fury at S.H.I.E.L.D.? Yeah. Yep. You could go back to the Savage Land to visit Gak? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. So so there you go. Uh, yeah, that's, it. that's how it ends. It's a... It's a it's a connective issue. It's a whole bunch of stories kind of uh, starting now, and uh, I feel like this is going to become kind of the new flavor of the X Men for a while. I feel like Chris Claremont is trying to reboot the comic book again. Hundred percent agree. And I don't know why that doesn't happen. Maybe it does for a while, longer than I remember, and. Uh, I don't know. I guess. I guess. Like. Like I've been saying repeatedly. I think. I think if you drink every time I said we'll see this <laughs> this episode, you'd you'd be pretty wasted right now. Yeah. Um. I. I. I wonder. And this is you know when when we get Chris Claremont on the show to do the in depth interview, mm-hmm. I I wonder if he had grander plans for Australia, but wrote himself into a corner. Or if the idea was like, okay, we'll do this, uh, we'll do this um, mutant massacre, which then ultimately turned into like Inferno, which kind of maybe maybe all that stuff just kind of messed with his plans. And he's like, well, now I'm in Australia, and I don't really have any enemies. Everybody thinks they're dead. I kind of killed the Marauders. He wrote everybody out of the book. Yeah. So I don't know. Curious if this was like the plan, or if he's like, oh, I'm bored of this. Let's uh, siege Perilous reboot. Hmm. But uh, we'll, I guess we'll, we'll see. So, it, it, from a personal perspective, like this is where this is one of my many uh, times of kind of letting the issues get a little spotty in my collection, where I'm like, eh, maybe I, <laughs> maybe I'm too old for X Men now, or eh, I don't know. So I don't necessarily have like, well, when I was originally buying comics, uh, this all through like. I don't know, issue 300 or whatever. Eventually, I think I bought them all in back issues, but... On eBay? No, man. Garage sales and, and other, like... Oh. Yeah. That's 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 work. Oh, man. Well, I, I, I wasn't even, like, searching. I just went to a garage sale. I was like, Jesus, there's a lot of uh, long boxes here. And I started thumbing through, and it's like 50 cents a piece for each issue of Kitty Pride and Wolverine and a whole bunch of back issues of X-Men. I was like, oh, I'll take this, and I'll take this. And I, you know... 50 cents a piece like 20 bucks will buy you a bunch of comic books like decent decent shape yeah they're all like bagged and boarded it's like geez the bags and boards are probably worth more than the 50 cents wow yeah so wish good. i was at that garage sale yeah though there's a ton of stuff uh i you know in Heinz. well actually i have too much stuff in my house so i'm glad i didn't like just make him an offer for all of it because <laughs> <laughs> because now i have all of those comics sitting in long boxes in my basement Yay. The cycle continues. <laughs> just just moving stuff from place to place. You want some stuff? You store it for a while. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, no letters this, this week. Uh, actually, one thing I did want to point out in various comments uh, and notes, uh, uh, many of our listeners, uh, at least some. Especially you. 
Not me. No, no, not you. You're oh, not a listener. The person listening right now? Yeah, the person that I just said, especially you two. Yeah, find this particular segment of the run to be their run. And I would imagine that like every run of X-Men probably has a person that's like, ooh, this is my jam. I just wonder if that's the case in like the mid-300s. Well, if you think about our age group, so we're we're a couple of old white guys in our forties, <gasps> and this is uh, this is around the time that we would have been kind of youngsters getting into comics, and it makes sense that this, and maybe perhaps many of our listeners who are of our same age, this would be their arc. So it would probably be the younger listeners, I would imagine, who have that same kind of feeling in the 300s or in the mid 300s or the early 300s. I don't know. I don't know, man. By the time the mid 300s are out, like there's porn on the internet, (laughs) right? (laughs) Well, you know, comics are a, are a lingering thing that, uh, the interest dwindles from the beginning of time until the movies start happening. Oh yeah, absolutely. I just, yeah, I guess when we get there, we'll probably have the, 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 the listener write in saying like, Oh my gosh, I love who is that awful writer's name? Uh, uh, which there's there's so many. <laughs> uh, X Men became new X Men at the same time. Oh, uh, Austin, Terry Austin. So Terry Austin was one of the bad ones, but there's I think the one you're talking about is another bad one. But I I can't I can't remember. Maybe they're maybe I'm getting Terry Austin confused. But yeah, Terry Austin definitely one of the bad ones. And, and they're probably good writers in their own right. I think these people uh, try. And I think I've even read interviews where like we want to take X Men in a new direction. Everyone's like, don't take X Men in a new direction. And that's where you get Flame Mouth guy, whose name and power I don't understand. Oh, Flame Mouth guy came bef- way. He was in, he was part of Generation X, so oh. he's he, he's way before that. Okay, but and that is his name, Flame Mouth guy. <laughs> Duh, that's why I called him that. (laughs) All right. Well, I just attribute him and a whole bunch of other mutants I don't recognize with that run. And like that is the first time that he becomes an X-Man proper. There you go. Uh, So before that, he was a Generation X proper. Yeah. And I wouldn't have been reading Generation X. And I was probably also 25 and was like too old for comics. Yeah. So anyhow. If you'd like to tell us how wrong we are about Terry Austin or Flame Mouth Man, uh, you can contact us at www. Somebody's going to write in and be like, no, Flame Mouth Man. First of all, his name is uh, Chamber, and he's awesome. You don't even understand his arc. Did I get his name right? Is it Chamber? You did. It's Chamber. Nailed it. And and, uh, and he, he's he's pretty good. I mean, I like him as a character. He kind of, I, I feel like, never really got fulfilled to be what his what he could have been but uh, them's the breaks it's tough to make new characters stick is he as good of a character as brew now brew is kind of uh well so uh, brew is playing on nostalgia brew's not fair brew's awesome brew brew is brew's kind of cheating i almost cried when he died but i think you told me he came back yeah, well, you know, it's comics. Yeah. Well, anyways, uh, we're getting way too far ahead of ourselves here. Uh, but give us a, a shout at www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. Twitter us at Danger Room Go. Email us, dangerroom at xmenpodcast.com, or go out to iTunes, subscribe to us, leave us some feedback, leave us some five-star, five stars, leave us five stars. Uh yeah, and that stuff over there at iTunes or wherever you get a podcast from. Uh, 
or go out to patreon.com forward slash danger room and see all of our amazingly fun subscription levels. Brew is almost like baby Yoda. <laughs> oh, maybe that's why I, I have. Well, I guess that just plays on all of our little heartstrings. Yeah. Uh, our, our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfield and uh, not by baby Yoda. <laughs> that's true. I wish Baby Yoda provided our theme music. That'd be awesome. I'd love to work with that guy. So they just released a animatronic Baby Yoda, and I'm like, I don't know. In a post-coronavirus world, does anybody care anymore? Um, I Well, the idea is that things are going to return back to normal, although maybe they're not. <laughs> so I guess we'll see. So you buy Baby Yoda, pack him up in the attic, and when things return to normal, then you're like, okay, now we can have fun. <laughs> is Baby Yoda still as cute anymore? I don't know. <laughs> so hard to tell. Things move too quickly this day, these days and this this day and age. Is there still going to be new TV? It's a great question. Probably not. Probably a lot of reruns. Probably a lot, maybe a lot of animation. I don't know. There's a new season of Westworld that just came out. Is anybody watching it? I haven't watched uh, much of season one or any of season two. I watched season one and I... I I uh, I liked it, but I never picked it up after that. I feel like this delays all of our movies, too. Yeah, for sure. Wow, it's crazy. All we have now is Star Trek Picard. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, anyways. Uh, you always got us because uh, we are so socially distanced, there's like six states between us. Yeah, I mean, really. We always do this without an audience, so. <laughs> <laughs> I meant you and me. I, I, that's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. It's, it's not like The Daily Show where they have to do weird episodes without an audience. We're always in the audience without an audience. That's a good point. Uh, we're just speaking out to the void. I didn't have to leave my bed to do this episode. <laughs> I haven't gotten dressed in three weeks. It's amazing. So true. Yeah. Anyways, uh, there's more comics to read here. Oh, so many. If the internet goes out, then we might have a bit of a snag. Oh, man. I dropped the ball, Adam. I didn't read X-Factor number 47. Well, you know what? What? It's a filler issue. Woo! It's a filler issue, <clears throat> excuse me, in the worst sense of the word, in that it has nothing to do with the current plot. What? It is a, uh, so we, we open with uh, Archangel in the current plot, and then he has a flashback. Uh, back to his early days of being Archangel in which he's watching this kid who has mutant powers who reminds him of himself and the kid gets brought into this uh, church kind of organization that uh, finds mutants and has them do stuff for them. Uh, the kid has healing powers. Um, and they also run a, it is heavily implied that they also run a porn workshop. Mm. Um because there is a girl who is clear, pretty clearly the being put on videotapes doing terrible, terrible things. There's also a dude uh, reading a Playboy, just kind of gawking at the centerfold. Yep. Oh, yep. this issue looks awful. There's a girl getting beaten by like a pastor. Yeah, that's the girl. That's, that's the, the girl that we find is being forced to make porn videos. Ugh. Um, and then Nike or not Nightcrawler, Archangel um, even gets involved and busts up the whole thing. And the girl who is fully healed by the healer kid and the healer kid take over 
um, there's kind of a nice panel where they get the inside of Archangel's psyche and we see Archangel kind of like Jesus on the cross with his arms spread and we see the two sides of him, which is Professor Xavier and the old X-Men and X-Factor. On, uh, and then on the other side is uh, Apocalypse and the, uh, the Apocalypse's four horsemen. And then uh, what's-his-face with his smiley robot droids, Cameron Hodge. Mm-hmm. And those are done in stained glass uh, windows. That's kind of nice. Yeah, what's interesting here is you see Angel's blonde hair, which – uh, is a thing that happens in the future, but right now, like, uh, I think it's assumed, or maybe I've always assumed that we're not looking at a skin suit, but we're actually looking at his skin, because he never takes off this skin-tight, like, blue and purple thing that he wears. Uh, that's the only time we see it here, too, and this is a view from inside his psyche, so it's not it's not necessarily reality yet. No, I and I agree with that. It's just, it's a... A foreshadowing or happy accident. Somebody dug it. There's an interesting thing that, that I think you skipped over, Adam. Uh, probably. <laughs> um, there's a, a scene in which he's like pining over Gene uh, and saying like, oh, Gene, we loved you. You made puppets, pulled the strings, watched us dance. I danced for you and for Scott. And you see all these sequences of like her and Scott together and an angel kind of being like, oh, man. And then he talks about Candy and how Candy sort of filled the void, but not really. But then Cameron took her away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's an interesting sequence. I, I kind of thought like after they did the whole Archangel, they're like, yeah, we're not going to talk about that time that Angel really liked Gene. They do also do some kind of uh, retconning his origin a little bit um, in that he's really into flying and being one with the birds, which is, I've thought, I kind of groaned when I read all that before he got his powers. He was into that kind of crap. And then they, uh, they touch on the time, the time that the school burned down and he rescues people, which had, we covered that in something. So that was a nice callback. And then it shows that at that same scene, which we covered many years ago, Cameron Hodge was there. I should have known then he was the devil in disguise. There's on page 22, Two, there's a cereal box called Slackos, and on the cover of it is a guy with a like a buzz cut, a big smile, and a pipe. And I feel like it's an homage to another image of that guy with a pipe, and I can't think of what it is. This half memory has been brought to you by Jeremy. <laughs> and I've been Google is Googling like man pipe smile cartoon. And I, and I know the moment I see the name, I'll say it, and you'll be like, I don't know who that is. But I'll be like, no, it's a thing. It kind of reminds me of the Half-Life guy. The Half-Life guy? Oh, yeah. uh, uh, Gordon Freeman? What? Half-Life guy, Gordon Freeman? Isn't Half-Life a game? Yeah, the protagonist's name is Gordon Freeman. Oh, I'm not thinking of Half-Life. I'm thinking of, what's the one with the nuke, Nuka-Cola? Oh, that's Fallout. Fallout, Half-Life, Fallout, you know, it's two, two, two words. They're absolutely all the same. <laughs> well, I, I can't think of who this is, and I'm not going to waste our time Googling. But if you saw it, you'd be like, oh, I know what that, well, some somebody would be like, I know what that is. Somebody probably does know what that is. Yeah. Apparently it's not me. If you 
have this issue of X Factor and you know what that image that Jeremy is talking about reminds him of, let us know. <laughs> you heard it here. All right. Well, anyways, um, uh, New Mutants, number 82. Did you read this one? I, I read one page and I bet you you can guess what page I read. What, the first page? <laughs> oh, I didn't read that page. I read the page that had uh, Rusty Skids and, and uh, Blob and uh, Pyro and Mystique. Oh, of course, of course, of course. It's really the only thing I care about in this entire story at this point. Why do you love Rusty and Skids so much? I grew up with them. I, I, I love their introduction into the Marvel Universe through through X-Factor. And, and I Are you dying to know how they disappear? Yes. I, I'm assuming that just one day they won't be there anymore, but I'd like to think that there's more to their story. But but I, I can save it. No, no. Go go ahead. Oh, you will remember the last time we saw them... Um, Avalanche, I think, well, so Skids had put up a force field around the two. Avalanche had broken the ground around them away. And I think Blob picked them up like in their little cocoon, their little force field cocoon and uh, ground disc that Avalanche broke free. And evidently they took them to prison, but they don't really explain any of that. It, it just You just see them. Surrounded by Blob, Mystique, and Pyro, they're still in the force field, and evidently uh, they've been like this for hours, heck, maybe even days, because Mystique is like, trap for hours, you're thirsty and hungry and tired, lower your deflector and come out, and uh, uh, Skids passes out. She's like, I... So have the other three of them just been standing around taunting them for the last like few hours? Well, I feel like they transported them to this prison... And yes, that now they've been just standing around like, drop your shield. Come on, drop For your shield. For hours, but they're not thirsty and uh, hungry and tired because like they've been chowing down on Big Macs and <laughs> s- sipping colas. Well, we don't see Avalanche so I can, uh, or uh, Crimson Commando, so I can only assume that they're doing munchie runs. <laughs> so they're splitting up. Yeah. So you're, they're tagging in. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Skids collapses and, and uh, Pyro, or uh, Rusty rather, he's like, stay away, and he uses his flame powers. But Pyro's there and it's like, oh, crikey, I can control your fire. You know that. Good thing I'm on this shift. <laughs> that's right. Rusty's like, oh, Pyro, fine, you win. And that's when Blob grabs Rusty and says, uh, this time, hothead, it ain't a place you can uh, escape from. Um, and that little bimbo's got her own room here, too, as an accessory to a crime. Crime? What crime? She helped you uh, resist arrest, didn't she? You won't be able to escape this joint, kid. This ain't no naval prison. Uh, Skids, as she's collapsing, she's like, uh, forget it, Mystique. You just want to get your hands on us because we know your secret. You have the mutant children. Those those are the mutant children from Inferno. Yeah, yeah. Which, like, in Marvel Comics, it was like six months ago. They're really holding on to this idea. Well, I kind of feel like Louis Simonson's like, I don't want to let go of this thread, but I don't really know where i'm going with it either could be so because the rest of this issue all uh, uh the rest of the pages is all about hella and asgard and uh it's brett blevin's artwork which is nice but i didn't really care so where we left off is that warlock well the team split up well they didn't split up the team tried to flee uh asgard at the same time as hella was putting up this dome around it and Warlock got stuck in the middle with Boom Boom and Hrimhrad or something like that. I don't know what his name is. The Prince of Werewolves. 
from Asgard. And then the rest of the team got stuck inside of the dome. So we get some shenanigans with Boom Boom and Warlock as they try to escape uh, Warlock from being stuck. Then we get some more shenanigans with the rest of the team who are being attacked by what I thought was Danny, uh, but turns out to be another Valkyrie named Mist who is secretly on their side somehow. So they all get captured and Mist is like, I'm going to save you later. Just go with it for now. And we meet Garm, which was the giant dog from Thor Ragnarok. Mm. So that was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, Boom Boom and Warlock and Krimprapture eventually escape and manage to get to Odin. But Odin's in one of his Odin sleeps, which he does sometimes. So they decide to go somewhere else after some shenanigans of being captured. Something to do with ice giants. Not really sure where this is going. Um, the rest of the new mutants are taken prisoner by Hela. They discover their dwarf friends are also prisoner by Hela. Uh, they end up attacking the dead Hela guards and getting recaptured along with the dwarfs who are now going to make a sword for Hela out of the same material that Thor's hammer is made out of. Hmm. That's where we leave off. Neat. Not really. Well, it's it's not my type of story. No, I I don't care about Asgard. So I don't not care about Asgard. I just don't care when it doesn't have anything to do with Thor in Asgard. Uh, Wolverine number sixteen is the final episode of the Johanna Stone affair. That came to a conclusion. Nice, finally. And it's it's the uh, it's it's the it's the end. It's, it's a big fight. Um, there's some good lines in here. My name is Wolverine, and I'm heading towards the palace of the Prince of Madripoor to warn him about danger of the deadly Johanna Stone. When suddenly I'm jumped by ravenous pseudo-vampires. I hate when that happens. It's pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I read that page. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I had all the intentions of reading this entire issue, uh, and I made it to, like, page four. It's a good, it's a good issue. Yeah. Uh, he, he does, he goes back to being Wolverine. Uh, Bert catches up with them by questioning people where the uh, Jessica drew might be. And they say she's, she's probably in the prince's castle. And he's like, okay. And the lady's like, no, I didn't really mean it. Ah, whatever. Um, but all tries to kill the prince and ends up, um, killing his guardsman who swallowed the last piece of the Johanna stone. Uh, so he grabs it from his gut. It's pretty gross. He puts the, together the Johanna stone and, uh, Wolverine. Like, there's like this implication that Wolverine is connected somehow to this ancient guy, uh, that originally fought all hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Cause they keep doing like, uh, when the two of them are like fighting, you see an image of the, the oldsters behind them. Oh yeah. Yep. That's kind of fun. There's a, a neat image earlier where Wolverine sticks one of his claws up a dude's nose. Yeah, that freaked me out as a kid. Yeah, it's kind of gross. I remember that one. Well, the good guys win. <laughs> as as they are wont to do. Uh, Wolverine gets knocked aside and just at the last second is able to muster some strength. He prays, not the light, easy, hope to God this works prays, but an earnest, sincere 
plea for a higher being to guide my hand because he's kind of blinded. And he strikes, he destroys the Johanna Stone, and then he guts Baal, and they jump out a window and uh, land in the water. And when they get out of the water, Wolverine's okay, and Baal falls over dead. And that's when Wolverine says, dead, good. He was ugly and had bad breath. That's funny. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. And then we learn that um, possibly the reason that Wolverine never went crazy around the Janus Stone the way that everybody else did is because he's somehow connected to that hero of old, hero of ye oldness, ye old timey. And then we get Bert off on another adventure where he's now James Bond. Yeah. And I don't think we'll ever see Bert again. Archie Goodwin, John Byrne, and Klaus Janssen introduce Geist next issue. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be it's gonna be interesting rereading this for me because I remember not really enjoying like that was the beginning of the end for me. Really? For Wolverine? Well, well for for until Larry Hammer shows up. Oh, okay. Wolverine is like on a steady decline of stories just getting worse and worse and worse. Uh, starting with the, the that John Byrne Archie Goodwin story, which I believe is like seven parts or something like that. Oh dear and, God! And uh, I'll, I'll be I'll be interesting to see if I like it because I don't remember. I remember not liking it. We could just skip so, it. Maybe I will if it's not worth <laughs> if it's not worth talking about. Maybe I won't talk about it. Uh, but Klaus Jansen. What, what about Klaus Jansen? I don't know. <laughs> okay. He's an artist, isn't he? I didn't didn't he do this issue? Or was that somebody else? I thought somebody else did this issue. So is John Byrne just writing? I thought Archie Goodwin was a writer. I guess we'll find out. Maybe next issue. Maybe Klaus Jensen is inking? Let me skip ahead and see. <laughs> I mean we could just wait, I suppose. It just seems like an internet uh, interesting trio of people. Archie Goodwin is writing, John Byrne is doing breakdowns, and oh. Klaus Jensen is doing finishes. So I believe that means that more or less writer inker. Gotcha. Or a drawer inker, artist inker. Gotcha. Inker, inker inky, inky blinky. Uh, and and what was, the, what was the last one? Inky, blinky, stinky, and Joe. <laughs> uh, Sue for Ms. Pac-Man. Otherwise, for Pac-Man, it was Clyde. Clyde. Okay. Yep. Uh, Excalibur. Oh, wait. This is an Excalibur. This is Marvel Comics Presents number 37. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Lockheed and Widget as Sherlock Holmes and Watson. And they rush to rescue the giant dragon, the female dragon that was stuck inside the train. And they're followed by, uh, I don't know who these characters are supposed to be. I feel like it's Steve and Mrs. Peel from the Avengers. Oh. But uh, but they call each other 68 and 99.9, so I'm probably missing whatever reference it is. And they just follow them to say that you're not allowed to be uh, practicing without a detective license. Is that maybe Get Smart? Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. It's a man and a woman, though. I thought Get Smart with two, was two guys. No, Get Smart had the Inspector Gadget guy and I feel like a female assistant of some sort. Which one had Bill Cosby? Uh, was, was that the one with Bill Cosby and Dan Aykroyd? Leonard Part 6? I Wasn't there a show 
with Dan Aykroyd and Bill Cosby? A TV show? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. Okay. I think there I think there was. I can't remember it, though. You could be right. I never would have paired those two together for anything, but... Maybe it's not Dan Aykroyd. Maybe it's Fred Aykroyd. Oh, yeah. Kitty Pride rescues everybody, and um, uh, Captain Britain discovers a white rabbit that he's following is actually Woody Allen. And... Uh, yeah, that's 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 about it. That's about it. Now they're gonna go. They're all back together again, and they manage to stop the Looney Tunes. So they're gonna now go get the Joker. Oh, okay, good. Who's probably gonna be Arcade or something? Good. I don't know. Could be. Who knows? I don't know. I just said I don't know. I I'm not arguing with you. <laughs> Sounds like you're arguing. No, nope, not at all. I, I would never do such a thing. Okay. All right, well, um, I don't have anything else. Do you have anything else? No, I don't have anything else. Okay, well, until next week, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the Danger Room is closed.